0: Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and his kingdom. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. So, um. While we're just getting started here, Susan's going to make sure everybody has a a sheet of paper and then something to write with. We might have to share the things to write with with our neighbor. This will be for something at the end. Um, Just trying to get it out of the way now. How's everybody doing? Good. It's nice to see everyone's lovely face. So we're back in Matthew. Um, I'm really excited about it. We're in Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, turn there, we're also going to have it up on the board. So we're going to be looking at um, a short passage that is, it may be familiar to you, it's, it's actually in a um, handful of the Gospels, I'm pretty sure all four, at least three, um, <clears throat> and we're going to be talking about costly love. So pray with me. Well, Lord, we love you and we declare that we want to love you more in a tangible way. And we want to be able to imitate you, Jesus, in the way that you poured yourself out for people. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate this passage and to uh, breathe on it so that in this short time we have together, you would do something in us, that we would be changed. Thank you for every person that is here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Matthew 26. We're going to start with uh, chapter or verse 6, so we'll skip there. So read aloud with me. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay. Give me a show of hands if this is a familiar passage to you, if you've read it before. Okay, good. If not, that's great too. So what I want to do is dig into this passage a little bit, and what I'm going to ask us to do is to try to imagine ourselves in the room. One of the things that we're going to do together today is to try to figure out who can we relate with most in this passage, which character. The reason we're going to do this is it's just one way to study the Bible. It's one way to try to um, wrap our hearts and minds around what's actually going on and not just read read it like it was some story, but actually to be there. So let's start out with uh, chapter 26, verse 6. Let's dig into this a little bit. So we have we have Jesus and the disciples at someone's house. Whose house? Simon the leper. Okay? This is interesting in that um, as a leper, Simon would have been considered unclean. And so for Jesus to even be hanging out and asking his disciples to be hanging out, this was... Um, pretty taboo, and it was actually pretty scandalous also. And so he was, even in the act of being there, making a statement about reaching across the lines to people. Now on top of that, in the next verse we read that a woman comes to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. And then she does this thing that catches everyone off guard. Now, what we know from the other gospel accounts is that she, um, one of the things she does when she comes into the room is she sits at Jesus' feet, which for her to do was a scandalous act. It was scandalous, one, because she was a woman, coming into the presence of this rabbi, this teacher, which was unheard of. And then she does this thing where she sits at his feet, which was also unheard of, because culturally this basically was her saying to everyone in the room, but especially to Jesus, that he is my teacher, and I'm a disciple of his. It was a It was something she did with her body, and it was something that she took a big risk to do, honestly. Because women didn't do this (laughs) in this culture. It put them at great risk of being uh, not only ridiculed, but um, it put them at great risk, great danger. But she takes a chance. And in Matthew's account, Jesus is sitting at the table And she pours this very expensive perfume on his head as he's reclining. This is interesting for a couple of different ways. We'll dig into this in a moment. Um, But also in another account, in another gospel account of this scene, we find out that it's not just a very expensive perfume, but it was worth 300 days' wages. Like, this is how expensive it was. So in other words... 365 days in a year, if you take out the times for the Jewish holidays and festivals and all the days they would have taken off, this is a year's worth of wages. So a year's salary. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for a woman, especially, because a woman would have had essentially no social standing unless she was married and had a way to be taken care of by her husband and her family around her. So she does this interesting thing and and it's, it seems, if you can imagine being in the room, if they're eating dinner together and they're at the table, it seems like this would have been really an interruption to have this woman come and break a not only very expensive, extravagant jar of perfume and pour it over Jesus, but the whole room would have smelled like this stuff. So she's interrupting their meal. She's interrupting the whole scene. And then you have the very guys that were supposed to understand Jesus the best, the ones who had at least in this room, some social status. You have his disciples, the ones who've been with him now for three years, essentially, watching him, listening to him, being, to, being able to learn from him at the closest level. And they're angry, like they are, they are pissed off at her interrupting their meal. And it says they actually say aloud, why, why? Why this waste? This is a waste. And this next part is very interesting to me because Jesus has just, if you can stretch back and remember as we've been going through Matthew, Jesus has spoken a lot about what it means to follow Him, being absolutely in step with, continually taking care of the folks who have less than us. So taking care of the poor, taking care of the stranger and the marginalized goes hand in hand with following him. And so they kind of turn that around and say, why shouldn't, why is she doing this? This money could have been sold at such a high price and all the money given to the poor. They kind of seem like they have a point, right? But what's Jesus' response? I love this, because Jesus, in um, as a master friend, like a masterful communicator and an incredible friend, understanding what's going on in this whole room, he says a couple of almost cryptic things that we're going to unpack. He says why are you bothering her? In other words, you're judging her and you've got it wrong because you're actually bothering her. (laughs) And then he says, this thing she has done is a thing of beauty. Now They've just said it's wasteful. And then he says, the poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. She's done this as an unknowing sign. She's marked me for burial. And if you read in between the lines, it's almost like Jesus is saying, pay attention. You're about to miss something really big here. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more, but I, I want to just pause and ask you to consider, where are you in the room? Where do, you, where do you feel like you, where can you relate the most? Do you feel like maybe you're the woman who's made huge sacrifices and feels misunderstood? Do you feel like you're more in this the space of the disciples who have been very dutiful. They've been doing what they're, quote, supposed to do for a long time. But they're actually standing in a place of accusation. They're mostly just doing a lot of judging. (laughs) Or maybe you're Simon the leper. I'm gonna make a little, this is a little bit of an insertion because it's not in the text, but I wonder where Simon was in all of this. He kind of blends into the background. He's the host. We don't hear anything about him. So maybe this is more of you, where you're kind of blending in the background. You're not really engaging. You're not... You're not really involved. You're just watching. So do you feel like the woman these days? Do you feel more of like the disciples? Or are you more feeling like you're Simon? So let's unpack this act a little bit more. This, This costly act that the woman does. I think it's also really interesting that in Matthew's account, she doesn't have a name. She's this anonymous woman who, Jesus said, Her story will be told essentially forever because of what she's done. And Jesus is always doing this, especially in Matthew. He's he's constantly highlighting the folks who are the, quote, outsiders, who have no status. He does this a lot with women and children. And he lifts them up to this place above his dutiful disciples and says, they're the ones who are going to be remembered. (laughs) because they've understood something that you you keep missing. And I think that's important for us, whether we're a man or a woman, whatever our status is, because whether you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, or you're just investigating him now for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to him, we all tend to think we have him figured out. And at the point where we have be, just become dutiful servants or dutiful religious people, we, there's the potential to miss out on the actual love relationship. And that's what this woman exemplifies. She exemplifies extremely costly love. So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's go back to verse 7. This woman comes in and she pours out a jar of incredibly costly ointment and pours it on his head. Why his head? It's really interesting because to The disciples in the room who would have studied with Jesus and growing up the entirety of the Old Testament, they would have recognized this as pretty symbolic because you don't pour things on people's heads just as an accident. This was a symbol of him being anointed as a king. Because all throughout the Old Testament, you have very specific people anointing kings on their heads to say, this is the chosen one. This is, they are marked by God. And at this point in the story, we're taking a, a pretty significant turn. Jesus is essentially done teaching, and now he is he's turning towards the cross. And it seems like he has this understanding that Maybe he doesn't know exactly when it's going to happen, but he knows something is happening. And we didn't, we didn't read it, but at the beginning of this chapter, the chief priests and the elders, they're gathering together, and they're conspiring to catch Jesus in secret, to capture him. So that's kind of what's happening behind the scenes. That's the rumblings. And we have this woman coming to anoint Jesus with this perfume that is so expensive. It's, it's kind of insane what she does. Think, think with me just what you need to survive for a day and then multiply that for the whole year. And this woman comes in and pours that all out on Jesus. Literally just lets it go. it was not only a very intimate thing that she does, not only was it incredibly vulnerable in the presence of all of these men who would have been scandalized by this, but she's also doing this, in this act of letting go over Jesus, over his head, she's basically saying, I am at your mercy. I trust you. And it made her look very foolish. So, the question for us today if there is just one question, it's what are we holding back? From the Lord? What are we holding back from giving up to God that we know is going to cost us something? I'm going to come back to that question, but I want to move on to uh, unpacking this question that the disciples have, which seems like a legitimate one. (laughs) They ask why this waste? And then they go on to make this statement about what she could have done for the, the poor. Now what's interesting about this statement is somehow they didn't realize that Jesus was a poor man. <laughs> he had nothing. <laughs> Isn't it, it, this is a little ironic if you consider that. Not only that... But when Jesus responds to them and essentially answers their question, why this waste, in his next verses, if we could go on to the next, uh, verse 10, 11, 12, he answers them by saying, you're not always going to have me around bodily, but the poor you will always have with you. Now, to me, that question, that answer, that question and the answer seems to say, back to them, you'll always have people around you who need love and and need help. What have you done for them lately? (laughs) Because up to this point, Jesus has been teaching over and over and over again through parables and through other thoughtful questions, he's been asking them. He's been asking his disciples to care for the one that's overlooked. At one point, just in the, the chapter prior, he basically says, if, if you won't take care of the stranger, if you won't feed the hungry and give the thirsty something to drink, you won't be taking care of me. Because I am the stranger. And he essentially says, if you, if you aren't doing this as part of your love for me, you don't love me. And you'll be separated from me eternally because you'd missed it. It's a really difficult statement Jesus makes in the prior chapter. So Jesus, in his answer to the to the disciples, he seems to be kind of turning their judgment back on them, right? Here's the other crazy thing about this moment. He said there's a poor you'll always have with you but you will not always have me. By this woman, this anonymous woman anointing Jesus with a year's worth of wages in her perfume, what was she doing? She was making herself poor. But somehow the the disciples missed all of these things that were happening right before their eyes. Yeah, the disciples, the ones who thought they understood everything at this point, they missed what was right in front of their eyes. And in the process of missing it, they were accusing the very one that was accusing them <laughs> in many ways. was showing Jesus was showing them that by their accusations, they were accusing themselves. It kind of sounds like other things he said in Matthew, like with the measure you use, it will be used against you. <laughs> That's essentially what's happening in this passage. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I certainly have, where when I am in my mind judging someone else, for whatever it might be, it doesn't take very long for the Holy Spirit to remind me of how I do the exact same thing and how I'm stuck in that pattern. It's really interesting. Jesus is a very smart smart guy. (laughs) So she makes herself poor in her love for Jesus. She makes herself poor in... Um, one really scandalizing act at dinner. And Jesus says, she's preparing me for burial. Maybe in a similar way that the, the wise men, the three kings who maybe they didn't even realize what they were doing when they were crossing the desert to give these gifts to the baby Jesus that included frankincense, incense, and myrrh gold it was like they were they were crowning this baby as a king with the very things some of the very things that she 's now pouring on his head it 's really symbolic and the thing that I think is really beautiful about this moment is that we have this woman who seems to have thought through this gift she was going to give Jesus. I, we don't know this for sure, but I, I have the, the thought that there's no way she would have just, as a spontaneous move, decided to prepare a year's worth of wages in perfume and pour it on Jesus. It seems like this was something she prepared for and thought through. And as she does this costly thing, she is in agreement. She's perfectly partnering with the Spirit of God who is marking Jesus for burial. Burial. He's getting ready to go to the cross and die for all of us. And she's doing this incredibly symbolic thing that she never would have known she was doing. But because she was moved by love and she was moving in this incredible act of costly worship, really she became a like a first fruit of a symbolic signpost for the king. And you have the disciples who are offended by her. They're offended by, they're probably offended by a lot of things, like I mentioned, <laughs> but they're especially offended that she has wasted all of this perfume on Jesus. And what's amazing is that Jesus basically says to them, she didn't have to do this. But I am now so deeply touched and loved because she is preparing me for my burial. And I think there's something there. This is something that... um, it's felt like the Lord has reminded me of just as I was preparing for this sermon. But have you, got, have you guys ever thought about the difference between having to do something and then voluntarily, voluntarily wanting to do something, getting to do it? So, this might be one of the takeaways for today, just as a, a quick illustration. Um, a handful of years ago, I was talking with a friend, a guy friend of mine, and um, I basically was having a conversation with him about, um, I think it was actually about sexual purity, honestly. I was talking about how just how difficult it is to be obedient to the Lord and pursue purity in your life, okay? And I remember he said something, and he was speaking out of his own, his, out of his own experience with this. But he said, no, Nellie, it's, it's not a have to, it's a get to in this area of our lives. And that's always stuck in my mind because that applies to just about every area of our, of our life. And in the areas of my life where I feel um, like I'm stuck in this place of duty, like I have to do this thing, whatever it is, there's a lot of resentment that can grow, like a bitterness that no one sees, just the Lord does, and then it comes out in these yucky ways. But when the Holy Spirit of God can move me from that place of having to to understanding that, wow, I voluntarily could do this out of love, ultimately for you, Lord, it changes everything. And I see this, woman as an example of that because she certainly did not have to do this for Jesus but she saw it as an opportunity to voluntarily give something up that was going to cost her something it cost her a lot and I keep thinking about how she is such a perfect example of what Maybe not a perfect example, a great example of what Jesus will go on to do for us at the cross. Such a beautiful picture of simplicity that love always is sacrificial. Real love is always giving something up. Real love is always going to cost us something. And I think this is what the Lord is asking us to consider today. How can we do the same? How can we move from the have to to the get to with the Lord? And as a consequence, with all the relationships in our lives. There's a story uh, in, in the Old Testament of David who, um, just to s- sum it up very simply, David had just really messed up. Um, David continually messes up. He, and he had sinned against the Lord quite astronomically in this, in this specific story, so much so that lives were lost. Like tens of thousands of lives were lost. And he recognizes that what he's done is wrong, and he wants to repent. He wants to turn, and he wants to turn back to the Lord and offer him something in, in sacrifice. He wants to say, I'm sorry. And the Lord comes to him and basically says, what I want you to do is to go to this guy Arana's house, and I want you to build an altar there and worship me there. I don't know why God wanted this, but he did. And so David says, yeah, I'm going to do that. And he shows up at Arana's house. And he knocks on his door. And this guy, who seems like he's just a commoner, sees the king coming. And he's basically like, whatever you want, I'll do it. it it's yours. What do you need? Yes, I'm here for you. And David says to him, well, yeah, I need your, thresh- I, I need your threshing floor. Um, I'm, I need to build an altar there. And Arana says, prior to this, he was like, yeah, it's yours. No no problem. You're the king. Whatever you need, it's yours. And David stands there and says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offering that costs me nothing. I won't offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. Guys, this is what the Lord is inviting us into today. To consider what we're holding on to, whether it's our pride, maybe we're holding on to some resentment in a relationship that we know we need to make right. Maybe we're holding on to our financial status in a way that we need to let go of. Maybe we need to become more extravagant givers. Maybe we need to let go of the desire to be known. Maybe we need to do something really simple and and let go of the need to be right in a relationship. The need to be right when we're talking with someone else about politics. Maybe we need to let go of our need to be comfortable and to be entertained. I feel like in this season, the Lord is going to invite us as friends, as a church family who's being built up as disciples of Jesus, and learn how to imitate him. And some of that is going to involve voluntary giving things up. Voluntarily giving things up out of not a duty, but a love, because we get to for the Lord. And something's going to switch. Something's going to, there's going to be a light that goes on in our hearts and our minds when we do this in understanding his heart for us. And it's going to make us different people. And the, the people around us are going to notice. So here's what we're going to do. You all have pieces of paper, right? We're going to put up, I'm going to put up a song um, that basically says this, "I, I won't sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. My question is, take a few minutes, listen to the song, read the lyrics. My question is, what is God asking you to pour out to him. If you were to anoint Jesus' head and be in that room like this woman, what is that thing for you? What is it? And I want you to write down something very specific. Don't rush it. You have like five minutes of this song. For me, just to give you an example, one of the things that, that I feel like I need to pour out before God is and let go of, because I know it's going to cost me something, is I have some old relationships that I need to go and repair. And I have to go back to these people and say, years ago when I did X, Y, and Z, I was wrong. And I'm sorry. And I know it's going to cost me something because... I'm actually going to have to fly there to see them, and I'm going to have to spend the money, and I'm going to have to humble myself because there's parts of me that still feels like I'm right, (laughs) and I have to let go of that for the sake of love. So whatever you write down, I'm going to ask you, once you've kind of sat with it with the Lord and asked him for ask the Lord for strength to actually let go of whatever this thing is. I want you to to just walk it up as a communal act and drop it in our glass jar. It's not exactly an alabaster jar, but we're going to just stuff them all in this little jar together. Susan's going to make it more pretty on the stand. And then just go back to your seat and, and be in prayer silently. And when we're done, we will pray together. Pray with me. Jesus, we honor you. And we ask you to change us, make us more like you. Take us from dutiful servants to extravagant lovers. And God, we, um, as a community, we lift up this jar to you and we tell you that we're going to pour this on your head, Jesus. (laughs) All of these individual things, whatever it might be. because we will not give something to you that costs us nothing. So as we leave this place today, God, would you allow us to feel the simple joy that comes with giving things up to you? And trusting you. So as a family, we, with these things that we've written down, we are declaring our dependence on you, God. And we're saying, we trust you. So guys, would you all say that with, with me? Just aloud. Would you just say, we trust you, Lord. We trust you, Lord.